you're not doing this, just know that your competition probably is. What would it be like to start a business around nutrition and food? We can create the largest pet health services company in the world, and we won't own a clinic. I'm Richard Gerhart. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. You've just heard some snippets from our show. Stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, full service intellectual property law firm. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, everyone. The show that's all about entrepreneurship, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have Mark Drager, who is a brand positioning expert and founder of Phantom Media, and he's also a podcast host and a storyteller. So I want to hear at least one good story. Yes. And then we have Mark Pretty with Happy Day Brands, who's helping us all be healthier by making super healthy food that we can put in our bodies to nourish ourselves. We want to hear all about that. And then we have Mike Ortega with Petsy. I cannot believe this has not been invented before. If your cat or dog is sick in the middle of the night, what do you do? Mike's got the answer. But before we get to our distinguished guests, time for IP in the news. So what are we talking about today? Okay. So what if you were on a jury and you were instructed by the judge to define what the word beer means? What is beer? Well, I mean... Is that like even a legal question? I... Well, so there is a case where Corona, Corona has Corona beer. They sued a company that had hard seltzers for trademark infringement and went to court and the judge ruled the jury must define beer to resolve the case. <laughs> well, no wonder our legal system is having so many problems and there's so many backlogs, right? If you get cases like that, is there like a real case here though? Yes. Yeah, so U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan ruled that Modelo, which is Anheuser-Busch's group, is not entitled to an immediate pretrial win in its trademark case against Constellation. So it also denied Constellation's bid to end the case early last month. So the decision sets up a jury trial that could turn on how the companies defined the word beer in a trademark licensing agreement. So basically, as I understand it, the case is about whether or not you can call a seltzer a beer, right? Yeah. And it's they're in court right now fighting about it. So there's Corona Beer, right. which is Anheuser-Busch's product. And then there's this other company that decided to make Corona hard seltzer. They're both in the alcoholic beverage category. I don't know how they could get away with it. That's the case, right? Because you have two different companies using Corona, one for seltzer, one for beer, right? Yes. So what does beer got to do with anything? Well, they have to define beer because the argument that the other side is making is that Seltzer is not beer. Seltzer is not beer. You wouldn't think they'd have to go to court over something like this, but Mark? Mark Drager. What are your thoughts about this situation? I'm going to play a bit of a different hand here. I mean, first of all, Corona is a terrible name. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they're arguing over this because <laughs> there was this big thing called the virus that happened and, and, and actually beer sales went down because of the coronavirus. And so, you know, if, if you're setting out to create a brand, why would you go ahead and create a drink using a brand that already exists? I mean, it's going to be harder to rank for SEO. It's going to be harder to, to get your one, your one seltzer in the minds and the hearts of everyone who's out there shopping. So frankly, this actually just proves that they're arguing over something that they shouldn't even be arguing over. I totally get with <laughs> where you're coming from. <laughs> and I have to say, I can't point to any names, but I've been involved in cases where I'm like, this has no business impact. It makes no sense. Why are we doing this? 
but here we are. So great points. And I think that that is uh, really something that we should keep in mind. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, I am a great consumer of beer, <laughs> not a connoisseur. <laughs> But I think we should define beer. If Coca-Cola can have their formula in a vault, I think we should define beer so people really know. Right. I mean, this is important. I mean, it's only been around. I mean, beer has only been around for thousands of years. And so it is important that we finally get to the point where we get a legal definition of beer. I agree with you 100%. And Mark, what are your thoughts? Perhaps maybe the easiest way is for everybody to gather around a table I'll have everybody have a shot together and the, the last person. <laughs> so, there you go. Right. And that, that sounds like, like a, like a beer summit or something, right? Right. These, and then they can work it out in a bar someplace. I, I couldn't agree more. So. Yeah. So Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just trying to understand what the end result is of all of this. So based on the definition, what do they expect to happen? Well, I guess if they define seltzer as beer, they have to stop using Corona seltzer. Given the size of the companies, what they really want is somebody off the market or they want to force them to change their name, which is why you have all the big legal guns involved here is because there's already been a lot invested in packaging and marketing. So they're going to have to change if they want to stay on the market if the court rules against them. Well, it's kind of silly. I feel like what substantiates beer over seltzer, the amount of carbon that's in one versus the other. Yeah, that's a good point. So scientifically, they have a good shot of proving their case that they are in fact differently, I think. But that doesn't mean that they're going to win from a trademark perspective. So now it's time to leave the round table and introduce our guest, Mark Drager. He's a brand and <laughs> positioning expert. He's the founder of Phantom Media. Mark, how do you talk about being a storyteller? That's kind of an interesting thing to put on your bio. <laughs> Enough people come up to you and say, one, you're a storyteller. Uh, two, people keep trying to interrupt you. And every time that, that you're telling a story, you're like, no, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. And then eventually you just realize, uh, I guess I'm a storyteller. And, and it sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I tend to answer uh, really simple questions by wanting to provide all the context. And that comes from my marketing background. My, um, I don't know. I just, I hate it when people skip things, which is also why as a podcast host, I ask so many follow-up questions because because if you don't have the entire story, if you don't have all of the context, then I feel like you're not painting a full picture and you're not, you're not doing your job as, uh, as the, I guess, communicator, the storyteller, whatever that might be. I really wanted to ask you, we're going into 2023. Nobody knows what's going to happen in 2023. But if you were, if a person, a small business were to look at their marketing plan for 2023, what's important to have in there? from your perspective? Yeah, we are coming off of um, one of the greatest runs of really cost-effective and cheap and extremely uh, tactical advertising. If we go way back, let's say way back to the 80s or 90s, right? During the 80s, everything was about print and about television advertising and radio advertising and big brand, right? All of the big brands were dumping money. And if you were a small business owner, you had to get like really tactical. I remember uh, there was this guy who used to write these books called Guerrilla Marketing. And it was like <laughs> all about like tactical stuff. When I started my agency in 2006, social media wasn't a thing. We used to shoot everything on tape. We shot videos on tape. And so advertising at that point, Google just started to do this thing called pay-per-click, right? Where, oh, you could take out an ad on Google. And truthfully, for small businesses over the last seven, eight, nine years with, with Facebook advertising and with all these different types of advertising, we've become addicted to really 
low cost, really scalable and, and really things that you could quite track quite well, um, types of advertising. And we've seen over the last few years with the changes to Facebook, with Google, with costs going up, with competition going up, we're losing that. And so to answer your question, what we should all be focusing on is going back to some of the older school techniques of network, of building a name or a brand. Now, I'm not telling you to be Coca-Cola or Pepsi or try to, try to just like buy awareness. It's not about that. But it's about recognizing that we're moving away from what we got addicted to, which is like, I'm going to spend a little bit of money on advertising. I'm going to earn a lot of money back. We have to start moving to more old school techniques. Interesting. You're definitely uh, out there on the forefront giving this kind of advice. I have not heard of that before. I do agree with your, your comment. I remember Gary Vee saying at one point that the advertising cost is so low to reach so many people that eventually people are going to catch on to how low it is and the prices are going to start going up and because it's such a steal on Facebook and all these right. other organizations. It's partly to Mark's point too, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, you can't stand out anymore because everybody got cheap advertising. So it just flooded everything. And there was, it was really hard to make your brand stand out. So there's two different ways to think about advertising, marketing, or branding. There's the, I want my audiences or my prospects or my customers to know who I am. So when they have a need, they think of me. That's the older school approach. And then what we move to is more of a direct response or direct, you know, I, I, if the customer or the prospect or your audience has a need and they go to a place and search for that need, you happen to be the first person to show up. Now, that is the type of advertising that was extremely cheap, cost-effective. And it's not so much that the market has become overly competitive, although it is becoming more competitive. It's that some of our big tech players, Google, uh, Facebook, Apple, you may have heard that uh, in April of 2021, I think it was, um, Apple changed uh, its privacy settings on its phones. So that way it was harder for companies like Facebook to get in front of people. So if we go back four, five, six years, I remember running a campaign for a client who sold thermal socks the warmest socks in the world. And we marveled at the fact that we could tell Facebook to show our ads to people who were interested in socks. Like, how does Facebook know that? That is so weird. How would Facebook know that someone wants warm socks? But we could do it. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we can't do that today. Today, we can't figure out who wants warm socks. We struggle to figure out all kinds of interests because the different players have pulled back on our ability to target based on interests or based on these different things. And so as marketers, as advertisers, as, as branding people, as small business owners, it has simply become harder and more expensive. And so it's not that it doesn't work. It does. It's just we always have to have the cost benefit of is, is, the, is the juice worth the squeeze? And if it becomes so complicated to run a campaign, and if it's so hard to hit an, uh, an ROI positive campaign where you're earning a lot of money back on your investment, you have to say, well, what works? And that's becoming harder and harder. So what's the one thing you would do next year, early next year? Would you start going to a bunch of networking events if you were a small business owner? So what I would do, first of all, is in my, <laughs> in my experience, small business owners tend to generalize, right? Like we got a lot on the go. So what you want to do is get as specific 
as possible. You want to spend time really, really, really crafting in on who are you, what do you stand for, what makes your product different. But again, in my experience, almost every small business stays very general. And so this is the year to triple and quadruple down on things. Think about not only your features or your benefits or what makes you different in the marketplace, but how can you become more bold in the claims that you make? How can you make bigger promises? How can you add more value to your, your customers or your audience? How can you stop competing on price and compete on value? And if you do some of those things, frankly, it makes every other part of your sales and advertising process better. It will increase your profitability and then you can outspend your competition. Kenya? So I'm curious to see how you feel about psychographic targeting because I feel like that's a newer age targeting tool and it's a good way to effectively reach like certain audience cohorts. So I just wanted to get your perspective based on like behavioral consumption of products and phone usage. So we can take a look at someone's phone and their data and basically give you behavioral insights on like what they're buying on Amazon or what mm -hmm. type of podcast they're listening to or just different tips and tricks on like how to reach a more focused niche audience, but we know what they're into. And frankly, I said when I started my agency in 2006, the internet was a certain way. At that point, we were already looking at the psychographics. If you think as a small business owner in terms of, you've probably heard the term persona, people get really tripped up because they think that this persona is, for example, let's say mothers. Let's say that I'm working with a client or you own a business where you're targeting mothers. Typically, the people who make household purchasing decisions tend to be between 30 and 50 years of age, and they tend to be women because they're the ones who are making the purchasing decisions. So this is a group we all want to try and market to and sell to. But let's use mothers, for example. Is there a difference between a teenage mother versus a mother in her 40s? Is there a difference between a first-time parent or mother? and someone who's had two or three or four different kids? Is there a difference between a mother who has a child with disabilities or cognitive abilities and someone who doesn't? Is there a difference between someone who's gonna homeschool their kids versus not? Or go back to work right away and hire uh, some help or a nanny or someone who's gonna be a stay-at-home parent? You know, I just gave a few examples. Is there a difference between someone who's had uh, maybe a miscarriage or, um, or struggled to have a family versus someone who doesn't? Right? We think of a, a small business owner might say, I'm targeting mothers, but there's all different types of mothers. There's different types of life situations or socioeconomic situations or different backgrounds. And if you know who you're targeting, the basic idea is tailor your message and your offer for the people you are targeting and you will make deeper connections with them. Right. That's a really interesting point is that every purchaser has multiple personas and that you can't just fit everybody into one category. So Mark, what are the tools that you use to determine sort of this deeper dive? How do you go about parsing out all of the different factors that go into making people your customer or your client? And how do you organize that information and then apply it? That's a great question. The tools a piece of paper or a journal, and you really spend some time on this and think through it. And, and I'll break it down for you. I'll make it really simple for you. First of all, when it comes to advertising and marketing and branding, what everybody wants to do and needs to do is try to get the perfect message in front of the right person at the right time. If you can get the perfect message in front of the right person at the right time, and you do all the time, you <laughs> will have great advertising, great marketing, great sales, your close rate will go up, uh, your costs will go down. 
So the way to do that, though, is you have to figure out three things. First, what do you want to do with your business? Like, what are your goals? What are you building? What makes you unique? What makes you different? What background do you have? What's your voice? What is it you want to do? Because the problem is people go like, I want to make money. <laughs> and that's great. But if you're a local market versus a regional market, if you're going national versus non-national, if you're going international, if you have to sell five units, if you have to sell 50,000 units, if you're trying to get in front of a really niche industry where there's only 600 people in the entire, in the entire country who you're trying to target versus you're trying to go again and get in front of a million people, what you are doing will dictate how you spend your money, what you focus on, who you're targeting, what's possible and what have you. So first of all, you have to really get specific with what you want. What do you want and what are you building? Now, the reason we do this is because the next area we're going to look at are our targets. Target audiences, customers, personas, prospects, whatever you want to call it. But the reason we want to get specific is you can't be everything to everyone and we want to narrow that down. Again, we want to serve the perfect message to the right person at the right time. The only way to do that is to try and narrow things down. And so by getting really specific with what you're building, you can now get really specific with your audience. Ideally, you're only going to speak to like one or two or three types of people. And those one or two or three types of people will have universal um, desires. You know, you'll help them with universal problems, maybe the same problems, or they'll buy for the same reasons. And so once you understand that, once you understand who these people are, and, and we, get, we, we use a lot of uh, really advanced tools, so we can find out people's um, household incomes and um, whether they lean left or lean right and how they donate money and whether they believe in you know, their faith-based groups or non-faith-based groups. And we can find out all kinds of information about people. But what we're trying to do is determine who they are, what they care about, what they want, what they fear, what they desire, how much disposable income do they have? Where are they spending their money? How are they spending their money? Where are they spending their time? How, what are they watching? What are they consuming? What are they reading? What are they listening to? And once you understand all of that, here's the real secret. You can tell them what they want to hear. Think about that. That's true. Think, think, think about she, that. Like Elizabeth you can tell people what, what they want to hear all the time. And, and you probably think she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Right. Like when was the last time someone came up to you and gave you a compliment that you believed in that it didn't make you feel good? Right. So, so here's where we run into problems. Small business owners, we, we are so inside our world, our vertical, our bubble. We know what's right. We, we often get on a soapbox and go, no, 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 consumer. No, no, no. You don't understand. You're focused on the wrong thing. And we try to preach at people. We have to meet people where they're at. So think about this. If we tell people exactly what they want to hear or we answer their questions that they have, we have now started a conversation with them or we've gotten their attention at the very least. From our perspective, I think you have to tell people what they want to hear, but it has to be the truth and it has to be an authentic statement because there, I think there has to be an authentic connection. So sometimes when we use the words, tell people what they want to hear, it sounds almost like a little bit manipulative. And I don't think that's what you mean. I think what, what it is, is you find the right person and we find that connection and we say it in the right way. Am I putting words in your mouth or do you? Well, have I'm not asking anyone to be immoral, but this is the uncomfortable truth. The uncomfortable truth is you are aiming to manipulate people. You have to start the conversation with where they're at, with the goal of getting them not what they want, but what they need. So once you've entered into a conversation, you can actually start to illustrate new ideas, new points, educate them. But if you've ever gotten into an argument with someone over Thanksgiving dinner about politics, you know that nobody is changing their mind.
But if you were to say, you know what? Hey, person across the table, I actually agree with you for all of these reasons. And I hear what you have to say. And then you enter into a conversation with them. And then you start to say, but have you considered this or that? Or have you thought of this? Or, you know, did you realize this or that? You have a better chance of guiding people down the path towards where you want them to get. Well, so definitely invited to our house for Thanksgiving dinner so that you can change my <laughs> wife's mind on politics. <laughs> but, but that said, we have to take a commercial break. We're with uh, Mark Drager, who is engaging with us in a very interesting conversation. And we'll be back with more of Mark and more Passage to Profit right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T. LAW.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guest, Mark Drager, brand and positioning expert. And he's really been trying to tell us what things are going to look like this next year, as far as he can tell, and, and help us to position our companies so that we're effective in 2023. Mark, you had suggested that people go back to old school of like just shaping their value proposition for their business. How can businesses transform their value proposition into a storytelling mechanism where it doesn't sound like a laundry list of stuff that you do, but still highlights the benefits of your business? Yeah, that's an amazing question. We call it getting listy. Like, you know, we we used to create videos for people and, it, and eventually hit a point where you're like, and we do this and we also do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Uh, and it's, it's like, like the wow. old George Carlin skit. Did you see Remember George Carlin? He used to do that skit. I on- do. I had I had Kelly Carlin, his daughter on my podcast. <laughs> cool. So how do you create a brand story that actually draws people in? First of all, again, understand what you want, understand what your audience values and desires. And then the third step would be, how do you make sure you do it in a way that's different than the competition or stands out in your marketplace? I can't answer the question for you the way that you want to, because truthfully, it's called trying things and throwing it out there and see what works. And anyone who's ever started to try and sell something you know, like I've, I've developed a new brand, a new product. Uh, I'm trying to bring on funding. I'm trying to bring on a VC. You are going to go through meeting after meeting after meeting. Each time you're going to have this pitch, you're going to have your 30 second pitch, your 60 second pitch. Here's what makes us different. Here's what makes us stand out. Here's, here's the opportunity. And what do you do with each conversation? You, you try, you tailor, you test, you manipulate as you go along until finally on the 100th or 200th or 300th conversation, you're like, I've nailed it. Like I've drawn them in. I've brought them into my world. And here's the thing with advertising and marketing, especially when budgets are tight or you're a smaller business, you're hoping to one and done it. You're hoping that you're going to work with someone who's going to create a headline and it's going to go on your website and you never think about it again. Or you're going to develop a brand story and you're going to put it out there and you never think about it again. So there are 
more cost-effective ways we can do this. Grab your phone, go to your Instagram account, post a reel of you telling this story, watch it. Was it interesting to you? Put it onto YouTube. YouTube is an amazing platform because it gives you more data than anywhere else. So you don't have to hire an advertising agency or a big firm. Go ahead and develop a story that you think makes sense. Put it on YouTube. And even if you only get a few views, look at your retention rate. How far into this story do people get? How quickly do they drop off of it and make it a second time and a third time and a fourth time? You know, my friend, uh, I'm good friends with a, a guy named Evan Carmichael. He's a YouTuber. Some people may know him from YouTube. I've known him for a very long time. When he first developed his own personal brand story, he hired a really expensive New York agency and they had him go through his story over and over and over and over and over. I think he did it like 50 or 60 times over and over and over again. And it was through that repetition and process that he really determined what worked and what didn't work. And then you can just look at the data. I feel like when people are telling their brand story, they should videotape themselves and have to watch themselves doing it. <laughs> but there's a reason why people in the NFL watch game tape or people in the NBA watch game tape. And they sit around with their teams and their coaches and they look at what they did from an outsider's perspective. I'm sure you guys watch your podcast back and say, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to be a little sharper here or there. And, and that's just really the game. Yeah, we do. And everything's on video now. And like you said, YouTube is, it's the second most searched engine after Google, right? So a lot of people have to be on YouTube and you have to think about how you look on YouTube. And I think it's good too, if you can test it out on a few people and if they kind of turn and walk away, <laughs> you know, you're being obnoxious, right? Right. One of the things that you alluded to earlier was the idea of networking. And one of the things that networking not on Zoom, but in-person networking does, is it gives you a feel for your potential clients. Right? You understand, because they'll talk to you at a networking event about their problems and their challenges and their businesses, assuming it's a business networking event, right? But they'll talk to you about what's going on and what's important to them. And in addition to making personal connections, it's a, a great way to do a lot of informal market research. And then I think that helps you also position yourself. If your goal is to attract the people that attend that kind of networking event, then you learn about what to say and what your message is to those people because you're talking. Um, yeah. And so when you go to that networking event, you can decide, I am going to test the story or this message or this pitch. But equally, Let's say that you want to just find out whether people like a headline, like a one-liner or a product picture. You know, you can just run a really small Facebook campaign, spend $10 a day with no goal of selling anything or making money and just seeing which one of these headlines gets more clicks or which one of these, these photos gets people to click on it. And the more testing that you can do in the real world, the more data you will get and the data doesn't lie. People are 100% on it with you when you are looking at the data. And it points out to you where the mistakes are and you can fix it. And so this doesn't have to be complicated or expensive, but it's all sitting out there. And if you're not doing this, just know that your competition probably is. And this is what makes them better. That's a really great tip. Yeah. I just want to mention something that I see in your background there. So you have a very cool background. You have some trophies, you have a picture, but you have this poster that says, think big, be bold, say yes. What does that mean? 
to you? <laughs> That's my personal mantra. You know, I, so in my past, uh, I was able to, I started a video production company in 2006. We were able to build it to a multi-million dollar company. And I've surrounded myself with some of the most remarkable people. But I realized at a certain point that fear was actually driving most of my decisions. You know, I was worried about not being good enough for the clients or not making enough money, or I had a seven-figure payroll. How do you make payroll every single month with a service-based business that has no recurring revenue? That can be hard. Uh, and so I realized... <laughs> You're preaching to the converted here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I realized that, that even when I thought I was thinking big... I really wasn't because every single thing I've achieved in my life is bigger than I would have thought if you asked me to sit down and come up with something. I marvel at entrepreneurs who have these big, huge, audacious dreams and goals and then work towards them. I was the opposite. I always surprised myself. Hey, we, we broke a million dollars finally. I was hoping to, but finally we did it. And hey, we broke $2 million. And hey, I have 24 full-time staff. And I, we, we've done television commercials all around the world. And we worked with NBA players. And I was just like, everything was a surprise to me. And I realized that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so think big is, is my challenge to myself to think when I'm already thinking big. Being bold, I realized that I often don't take bold action. And, and this came back again to my friend, Evan Carmichael was going over to his condo and uh, we were struggling in the business and I had to make some major restructures. And I was about to say to him, you know, if I were bold, I would. And he stopped me. He said, no, no, I, I don't want to hear it, Mark. I said, no, no, let me just say this. If I were really bold, I would. And he said, stop. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you would do if you're bold. Be bold and do it. And I was going to say, I would restructure my team. I would fire my clients. I would change my entire business. And he, he says, no, I don't want to hear it. Stop saying what you would do if you were bold and just go ahead and be bold. And that brings me to the last point, say yes. I often say no to everything. I mean, my wife says, do you want to take a break? No. Do you want to go do this? No. Do you want to spend this money? No. Like my, my reaction is like, is, is like no to everything all the time. Now, people confuse this because they think like, don't you say yes too often? I say no to my stuff all the time. I say yes to everyone else's things. I put everyone else first, but I say no to anything for me. And so if I'm able to think big, bigger than I ever thought, and if I'm able to take bold action, just say yes. I've realized and taught myself that on the other side of those things, it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. Like amazing things happen that I could not have even imagined. Right. And we've talked about that fear on this show, the fear that entrepreneurs have and just trying to work <clears throat> through that and ways to overcome it so that you can be more successful. I totally agree with what Mark is saying about setting the goals. There's another part of me though, at this phase of my career is also just to kind of trust my intuition and see where things go too. And so, yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of like in this no man's land, no person's land of where on the one hand, I love to plan things and I, I really want to say, okay, by this point next year, this is where we want to be. And these are the bold steps that we're going to take to get there. But then there's another part of me that says, well, maybe it's better just to kind of let life unfold a little bit and see what opportunities arise and try to grab and take those. And I haven't figured out what is best for me yet. So I'll, we'll probably do this show again a year from now. And you'll ask me that question. I'll be like, yeah, I'm still pretty stuck in where I was last year. So, well, I, I believe that you have to have a very clear picture of what you want and are working towards. So hold that tight, but hold how you get there, when you get there, 
very, very loosely because it's never going to unfold the way that you think it will. And you need to leave yourself open for those little, um, what I call it kind of like magical life events. You know, if you look back, you're able to connect all the dots that got you to where you are today. And so looking back, you, you can connect step by step up, followed by down, win, followed by loss all along the way. And yet when you look forward, often we, we hold everything so tightly. We want things to work out the way we want it to work out, when we want it to work out. And if it doesn't do that and it doesn't live to, up to expectations, we are disappointed and we're angry and all of these things. And yet look back, the dots connected. Look forward, the dots will connect and you have you really have no idea how it will connect. And so dance the way you want to dance, but have a very clear idea of our picture of where you're moving towards at least, because if you don't have that aim, you're really going nowhere. Right. And I think that's a lot of the reason for a business plan. I know we're going back to basics here and a marketing plan is it really helps you figure out where you're going and coalesce with what you want and where you're going to go with your business. And the marketing plan is kind of the roadmap to get there, right? I really feel like writing those things down. And we talked about this on a show, I don't know, a couple of years ago. If you write all that stuff down when you're really enthusiastic about starting out and you're really enthusiastic about launching your marketing plan, then when things are kind of in the doldrums, you can go back to what you wrote down as your plans and recapture your enthusiasm, hopefully. Yeah, I would also say for when I was first starting out, I used to write down my goals and they sort of magically happened. I mean, I would pay attention to them. I was a hard worker and everything like that. But I think for me, writing it down was an important piece. Uh, right, but I have zigzagged with the things that I've started. They don't go in the straight line like you were saying, Mark. And you know, and, and then trying to keep up with the marketing landscape and how quickly <laughs> changes. Anyway, we need to wrap this segment up. Mark, it's been absolutely fascinating <laughs> and fantastic to have you with us. And we'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Time now to turn to our Power Move segment, Kenya. So for Power Move today, we are going to be talking about Tyler Perry. So we know him as a movie maker. He's an entrepreneur. Forbes has recognized him as a billionaire. And this is hot off the press. So he just announced that he's planning a movie on the historic Black female army unit based in World War II. Right. So the movie move, as I call it, is outside of his traditional storytelling, where she typically focuses on a particular Medea character. But he's going to be launching the film called Six Triple Eight, and it's going to begin production in 2023. 
And it's based on the Women's Army Corps, which was an all-Black battalion that was sent to Europe in response to a mail backlog that was preventing frontline troops from getting mail and affecting morale. And the Women's Army Corps was signed into law by FDR in 1943. And the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and civil rights activist Mary McLeod Bethune advocated for the admittance of African-Americans into the army. And now Tyler Perry is going to tell their story. So he is our power mover today. That sounds really good. I can hardly wait for it to come out. What a great story. And I didn't know anything about this. So leave it to Tyler Perry to really bring this to light. And, you know, you see all sorts of perspectives in there, you know, gender perspectives, race perspectives, but all very positive. And I think it's important to know how everybody in the country contributed to uh, the effort to win in World War II. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. Elizabeth is one of Tyler Perry's greatest fans. I if think I, he's if hilarious. I, I, she loves his movies and I've seen them all like two or three times. Lots of times I'll come in and she'll have a Tyler Perry movie on. So so well and I'm hoping he puts a little bit of humor into this film his movies are funny but they have a message always about how to do relationships right <laughs> and but but it's funny so you watch because and so it goes between funny and serious funny so I, I hope he gets a little humor into this newest venture it's definitely a different kind of project for him so we're all looking forward to him reaching out into the unknown so Elizabeth what's been going on with your businesses so I have two things going on right now. I have been working on my startup. It was Fireside. I had to rename it Blue Streak, but it is the first video directory of business service providers online that is not directory based and that is on short videos. So I'm working on the website for that. In the meantime, and this fits really well with one of our speakers today, I have a kitten who has this problem and the vets can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. We're trying all sorts of things for the poor little guy. So I'm starting a cat podcast with someone that I met at a conference who's very into cats more than I am even. And we're going to pull in the community and say, has anybody ever seen this happen with a cat before? Can you give us any answers or come on the podcast and tell us your fun cat stories and let's talk about cats. And we want to build it out into a big community, but we're starting with the podcast and we're hoping to release the first episode very soon. Right. So it's going to be a cat palooza for it's called the Jersey Podcats. Right. So, so if you're a cat lover and you like the palooza, the Jersey Podcats is the place to go. So I would like to introduce our next speaker, Mark Pretty, with Happy Day Brands, food to make you feel good. So welcome. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us what you have. Yeah. So, you know, we started Happy Day Brands about four years ago. We create good by crafting better for you products, gluten-free, organic, plant-based products that uh, help nourish the body, but also bring people together uh, around the table and then to help transform lives. We, we go about that really by um, our mission of, of uh, our buy one, give one, where for every product we sell, we provide a meal to a local food bank. And so that's real important to us, you know, to um, really use business as a, a force for good. And so Happy Day Brands has really been on a mission to not only offer better for you food, but to really come alongside of people experiencing food insecurity. And uh, and I know that firsthand, I'm a kid from the other side of the track. 
you know, Mark, you talked about context and about story. So, you know, kind of to go back a little, you know, Happy Day Brands was really birthed out of uh, the story of sacrifice and the story of love. You know, my mom and dad gave me their life savings. You know, I was a kid from the other side of the track. We, you know, I understood, you know, we had food stamps. And if I was lucky, every once in a while, we'd be able to go to a thrifty drugstore and I'll date myself for five cents. I could get that single scoop ice cream in that square cone, right? So, you know, my mom and dad were uh, very instrumental in really shaping who I am and our family's lives. You know, I was going to USC at the time and I was in their entrepreneurial program and I had this idea about a business. And it was really around nutritional supplements and functional foods. And so I've been kind of in that specialty food market space for, gosh, since, well, since the late 80s. So um, for, for quite a while. And uh, I took a summer off during my senior year to kind of uh, dream a little bit and explore this idea. What would it be like to, um, you know, start a business around that philosophy of, of nutrition and food? You know, I didn't have much money. And so for the summer, I decided to sleep on my mom and dad's couch, save a little bit of cash and just began this process of uh, really starting to think and dream about uh, business. And so I launched it my senior year uh, it was called Richardson Labs. You know, I was able to get lucky and build that company. And uh, years later, we were in about 100,000 stores, sold it to a company called Rexall uh, in 1998. So, you know, I really at that time, you know, just took a break uh, with my family. I've been married 33 years now, six kids, four beautiful daughters who um, are very strong and really have a heart to really change the world, my sons as well. So we just kind of took this time and said, you know, what would it look like if we could think about uh, and this was around 2005, you know, when kind of social entrepreneurship was kind of just beginning. So we, we thought, okay, what would it look like to really use business as a force for good? And how could we really think through creating products and creating a, a company that really, uh, that doing good didn't kind of sit on the outside? Um, so often we think of like, corporate social responsibilities, we usually, and it is changing, but we usually create those to mitigate the risk of something that potentially we did wrong. Instead of actually taking our passions and what we really desire in that area of doing good and, and making it really a part of our DNA. And so that was the starting point for us is how do we really embed the DNA of wanting to really make a difference in people's lives through business? How did you do that? How did you infuse your company with the doing good DNA that you were just talking about? You know, I think it really just comes out of authenticity, you know, that I think really kind of creating a community, a team around, uh, you know, just around those values of what it means to be a good neighbor, what it means to really actually um, come alongside of those that are in need. If your starting point is that you truly believe everybody should be treated with dignity and respect and everybody has a place at the table, then it becomes somewhat easy to actually gather people around that mission. I'm a big believer uh, from a team building standpoint that if you know if you do business well, you attract those types of people. 
And so we infuse that at the beginning of just saying, these are our values. This is what we want to do. And this is kind of the, the, um, the change we want to make. And for us, it was really around food insecurity. So people can support this effort by buying your products. What kind of products do you have? We do a, a full line of, of baking items. So we um, have a line of oatmeal products, a line of uh, baking flours, we really focus in the specialty food area, so gluten-free, organic, or plant-based. We just launched, or actually are getting ready to launch uh, in the next couple of weeks, a organic, plant-based, vegan pasta. And so uh, we're really excited about that. And uh, so, yeah, you can find a very various products on you know on our website and, and in retailers. Uh, you know, we we do a, really a lot of work in that kind of specialty food space. Mark, do you have any questions or comments? I'm just always amazed at these types of products because really, it's it seems so niche. So, when you guys were starting up this brand, were, were there any concerns with being so focused specifically on healthy foods, non-GMO foods? things like that? Or was that always a benefit to you to just not try to go too big too quick? Yeah, I think that I think it was always a benefit to really kind of really decide kind of that niche, you know, where you want it to be. I think um, for us, creating better for you products are is just an important part of our lifestyle. It's a part of I think where uh, a generation is is moving. I think people are, you know, I think they care about what they eat. I think it's important. I think they want to be healthy. They want to you know, be able to live long lives and, and make a difference in the world. So for us, really, it was kind of focusing on that niche and, and really working hard to kind of differentiate ourselves in that. Excellent. So Kenya, do you have a question or comment? I do. I have both, actually. So I was a WIC kid. And back in the day when the government used to give you the food and you'd get the gross peanut butter in the can that you had to stir every single time yeah. <laughs> you wanted to go make yeah. a sandwich. Yeah. It was really, it was really gross. We're very high on protein. I got to tell you, it filled job yeah. and did it and served its purpose. But I say all that to say, um, you know, I know you have a do good component to your company and to your brand. Is there a plan or a strategy to try to educate communities that are, underserved when it comes to understanding nutrition and, you know, the benefits of eating healthier and access? You know, we work with food bank partners around the, around the country with Feeding America. And so, uh, so that is a big piece um, for us. We don't do much of that training. What we do is partner with the food banks and, and really support them that. I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that we've seen and we've really been putting our, our hands to is this area of kids and healthy food. Uh, so for instance, in Idaho, we work with our, our food bank here and we provide healthy bowls of oatmeal uh, across the entire state in the elementary um, program. So we're trying to bring those, those good products to, to bear and really working with our partners who are really on the ground uh, trying to do a great job educating around better for you products and then access to that food. Food is a human right, right? Everybody should have an opportunity to have good food. And I, I think to your point, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult um, from, a, um, from a budget standpoint. And so for us, we're trying our best to see how can we alleviate some of these problems by using business as a way to provide those types of, of products. So for instance, if you're in Oregon at a Winco and you purchase a product, uh, a Happy Day Brands product at Winco, that give back stays within that local context at that food bank. So we're really working regionally as, as best that we can to kind of, you know, do a good job around educating and providing those types of healthy meals. 
if people go to your website to buy your products, what's your best seller? I think probably right now, you know, it would probably be our superfood oatmeal cups. Uh, they're in a little ready to eat cup. Uh, they contain oats and quinoa and flax. They contain a, a plant-based protein. So it's high in protein. Uh, it's really easy, a little hot water in there, stir it around and uh, you're on your way. So that's a real good product for us. Um, we also roast coffee, an organic and fair trade coffee. And so coffee is a big seller for us. And then we're really excited now about this plant-based pasta. You know, one of the problems with gluten-free pastas is the chew and the bite. Uh, it just doesn't really hold up. So if there's anybody out there that's ever tried a gluten-free pasta, um, they have a hard time holding up. And so we've been working on that for a while. And so we just got back from the gluten-free world expo and uh, we launched that product there and uh, it was a real big hit. So that's a good one as well. I didn't know there was a gluten-free world expo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. There you go. So Mark, I noted that you have some in the past that you've had some patents for uh, nutritional formulas. And I think that's really interesting because there are a lot of people out there who say, well, no, you can't patent a recipe. You can't patent uh, a food product and you can, and you did, right? Yeah. So uh, what motivated you to uh, file for patent protection on these products as opposed to uh, just keeping something uh, a secret? It, first of all, great question. And, uh, you know, for us, that was back in I think uh, 1995. And I think it was kind of when the natural products industry was really boutique. Uh, so we wanted to really do some legitimate double blind placebo controlled studies. So we, uh, we wanted to do some studies around a couple of our products at UCLA and Georgetown and others. And so we knew the importance at that time that if we really were going to spend the time and the money uh, to do it, that we wanted to really try to find a product and some ingredients that we could patent. And, uh, and we were able to do that. Darn, yeah. I love talking about food. <laughs> so Mark, where do people find you and find your products? You can find us uh, at Sprouts across the country, uh, as well as uh, Winco stores. Matter of fact, a big shout out to Winco. During this time where everything is so expensive, uh, they really do provide our products at a really reasonable price in the bulk sections. So you can go into the bulk section and ask for Happy Day Brands. And we have about 17 different products in the bulk sections. Of course, you can go online at happydaybrands.com. Purchase your products there as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you. So now we are on to our next presenter. This is such a great idea. If you live with pets, I'm not going to say pet owner because those of us with cats know you never own a cat. They own you. Mike Ortega has Petsy, P-E-T-Z-E-Y which I think is going to change a lot of pet owner lives for the better. So please tell us what it is and what it does. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you for your story about your journey to your cat podcast. I love that. I've been on a journey myself. I work in dog years, so I've been doing this for 21 years. <laughs> it feels that way too. I look that way too. But Petsy's a free app. It's an on-demand mobile pet telehealth app that you can get free from either of the app stores and everyone on your, and everyone of your listeners have had this issue happen. You get up in the morning, you come up from work, there's your pet sick on the floor and you don't know what to do. And you go into panic. So you, do I call my vet? Do I call my brother? What do I do? And I sat there and looked at that problem and said, isn't there an app that I can open up and click a button and get immediately connected to a vet professional, just like Uber 
and there wasn't. So that was a genesis for Petsy. That is what we built. It's in the launch in the market today. Um, we are in all 50 states. So we have a seamless, ubiquitous network in all 50 states. We have vet professionals and answer the calls for you. It's a consultation call. So pet health, pet care, pet behavior. That's what we do today. Um, we're following really uh, in the direction of full telehealth and telemedicine, just like in the human healthcare. We think that's coming in about you know, nine months or so. You're not going to have to take your cat to the vet initially or your dog to the vet initially. Right. You could do it on Zoom, telemedicine for pets. I love that. So yeah. So it is, it is literally on your smartphone. You click a button, you're connected to a vet professional. You can ask any question you want. And it's a flat rate, $20 per call. That's it. No hidden fees, no, no annual fees, no subscription fees, and nothing like that. And we record all the calls for learning and training. I can't tell you how many pets we've saved every month, and I have to share one story with you. So this was to serve pet owners for peace of mind, convenience, and an affordable cost. I know all the heads are shaking. I can't tell you how many times I came home, my golden retriever was sick on the floor. I ran to my vet, and I paid three or $400 to find out that my dog had a cold. So that's what this is for, to find out what is the best thing I need to do for my pet. What we care about are healthy, happy, safe pets. So it's a flat rate, $20. I will tell you, right in New York, there was a young lady who was, I think, three in the morning, had an issue with her dog. The dog was pregnant, by the way, and she got connected to one of our 12-year vet professionals. She spent 20 minutes on the phone, and we delivered eight puppies over the network. Yeah, we wow. never thought we would do that. I never. Yeah, it was fantastic. That cost twenty dollars, by the way. So it's a fantastic thing, and I'll just share you. My background's a little bit different. Like your journey, Elizabeth. I came out of thirty years in technology. My expertise was in network and network infrastructures, and I got exposed, like a lot of us too, to this thing called Uber. And I went and did research on it. My hands started to shake and I realized what you can do with these platform apps. So periodically, there is a unique technology and a product innovation that comes along at a perfect time in the marketplace. Backed, as you know, Richard, by changing regulation and policy. We've seen it with the cell phone. We've seen it with the internet. We believe, thinking big, Mark, we believe we can create the largest pet health services company in the world, and we won't own a clinic. That's what we're planning to do. Everyone's looking for the next big platform app. We are confident and hopeful that it will be us. There's three significant transitions going on in the marketplace right now. Petsy sits in the middle of all three. The first is the sharing economy. We're all in it. I have three millennials. Okay, it's the gig economy. It's the one-click economy. One click, you're taking a ride across Uber and Uber across town. One click, you're running a lake house. One click, you're getting your groceries delivered. Now, one click, you got a thousand vets in your pocket. That's really where we're going. And then technology. I'm a technology guy. We will, we've already tested Petsy with smart speakers. Hey, Alexa, call Petsy. Of course. We're testing wearables. We're, we're looking at AI. We want to get to you know predictive medicine for, for pets. And then lastly, the work-life balance that everyone's moving towards. One thing that COVID did, it created the work at home economy. So everybody wants to live where they want to live now and work where they want to live. And we're creating jobs and opportunities for, for people who are there to serve pets. So that's really what we've created. Um, we're, we're thrilled with where we are. We're very, very early. We launched in January. Not only do we, and, and by the way, and I'd love to get some thinking from you, Richard, you know, we certainly have trademarked and, and trade secreted our, our methodology. It's very, not on, not only do we run on a, on a platform network, similar to Uber and Airbnb and everyone else, we built proprietary routing and matching algorithms on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so we are in discussion now about 
can we take this process and get it patented? In generally, yeah, you can. Well, because thank you. I, I, we do. So, we, we've done the trade secret trademark thing worldwide. We are in the process of talking to, um, we hope to have an announcement here, uh, first quarter. We're talking to one of the largest pet pharmaceutical firms in the world. Um, we're building a strategic partnership with them. We'll be building a joint global marketing agreement with them as well. And I think they're going to be help us be the leaders in getting to telemedicine. So we think we'd like to get that protection. Um, we'd like to go through that process. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think based on your business goals, it makes sense to have something that can be licensed or sold aside from the technical platform, aside from the goodwill that you're generating. And so having that additional piece makes it more attractive to an acquirer because they, they feel confident it's going to be harder for a competitor to come in, right? All of those pieces are an important part of your your business strategy, but you really do have to kind of get into the weeds with a professional. Budget is an issue. Geographic scope could be an issue. Is this just uh, US based? Is it global? Is it a global opportunity? It sounds like it could be a global opportunity, actually. I'm getting an education on the branding and marketing today, believe me. Well, we were just starting. This is such perfect timing for me to hear the guests talk about, you know, the focus and all the things. You, and I, I took a bunch of notes. But we're just starting the third phase of the business. The first phase was to build the platform network and the technology. So build MVP1, um, get all the vet professionals involved. That has been a joy. Um, a lot of people came to us and said, Mike, how are you going to get vets to work with you on your network for free? They're 1099s, right? They're just like Uber drivers. And that has been probably one of the most successful things we've done. We, we source them from multiple areas. We look at their credentials. We look at their license. We interview every single one. And if they qualify, then we do a formalized onboarding and then they're available on the network to answer calls. And it has been such a joy. The passion those people have. Um, and I love, you know, I love the, the greater good thing that we heard about from, from Mark. The passion these people have for pets just makes such a complete difference in what we do. And then the second phase was really validation in the market. Are people going to see this as valuable? You know, what parts are valuable? We have a complete different go-to-market uh, strategy than all the other of our competitors out there. As I mentioned, we're available in all 50 states. It's live, complete ubiquitous network. Our biggest competitor, I think, is in 18 cities. So we have a very different go-to-market as well. We're not selling to clinics. We sell to pet owners. And, and I love the conversations we had earlier about the marketing and the definition and defining, you know, your purpose and your messaging and all the testing, because I think the channels have changed dramatically, in my opinion. I mean, I've watched what's happening with social media and all the other things that are going out there and the clutter and the difficulty and all that stuff. But also I look at, I look at the pet owner. Look, we sell, you know, our, our target market, anybody that's got a smartphone and a, and a pet, really. But we really focus in on millennials and Gen Zs because it's their love language. It's what they do. And what's happened in the pet sector is pretty dramatic. There's been a massive increase in, the, in pet ownership. 80% of the households in the United States have, have a pet. 61% of them don't have a vet. Well, who's your vet? And they get on the phone with Petsy, who's your vet? You are. So, so we really have a, a dynamic change. One of our board members said, you know, with companion pets, they've gone from out in the yard to in, in the house to on the bed, to under the sheets. They literally are our children. <laughs> they really are part of your family. We really do focus on that. And we, we have a completely different market approach in that we go to large enterprise clients that have very large employee populations. And we present Petsy 
as a, a voluntary benefit to all of their employees. It's a free downloadable app. Your people can use it. They use it for retention, for recruitment. I no longer have to call my boss and take a half a day off to take my golden retriever to the to the vet. Now that's, that's something good... we, we can appreciate. I just want to give Mark a chance to ask a question here before our segment comes to an end. So yeah, I think I, I think this is a great opportunity for that that beautiful middle place, right? Yeah. I have a golden retriever, and when he was a puppy, he decided to eat 18 freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Oh off the counter. And uh, I've been told that, you know, chocolate's not great for dogs. And so what do I do? I call my vet. What do they say? Come on down. Come on down. That doesn't help me. And, and especially if it's after hours, I'm always concerned, like, if I do nothing, will I wake up to my dog passing right. away? Like, so I see the opportunity and I love it to just give me some assurances because the only alternative is go to my vet or go to Google. Neither of those make me feel comfortable. The, the, the question I have, and I hope you don't mind it being no so way. on the nose, is I understand that you're looking at a, a, you know, a $20 fee with a $5 gross profit. And so I'm, I'm curious whether with all the things you need to scale in terms of customer acquisition, lifetime value right. of customer, customer retention, operations, everything, whether a $5 gross profit is enough to, to build yeah. everything. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I get asked that a lot. So the answer to that is a resounding yes, because this is a mass market play, guys. This is like Uber. There's going to be millions of people calling in and talking to Petsy for that, that entry level cost. On top of that, we have built a number of scalable services on top of the app especially with all the partners we have. We're building five different specializations. Is, is that a rash on my cat? What's that dust? It, what is that? Click, you're routed right to a dermatologist that can talk to you about your cat. Dermatology, oncology, behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Then on top of that, we have partners that we're putting in place so we can offer and suggest over-the-counter things. You know, relax, Mark. You don't have to go to the vet. What you really need is an eye flush. Click, and so we have several partners that are delivering and doing fulfillment for us for that. And then soon we're going to be doing full diagnosis and prescription right on the platform, just like Teladoc and all the people that you've heard. So we're positioning for that. We're also doing horizontal services. We have partners that have various kinds of products. And, and Mark Pretty, I'd love to talk to you more. We've got a whole bunch of pet products that, are, that fit right into what you're doing. Thank you so much, Mike. So it's Petsy, P-E-T-Z-E-Y. Look for the app on your phone. Right. We appreciate, Mike, your passion. And we'll be back with more Passions to Profit right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearHeartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.GearHeartLaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start 
with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. It's Passage to Profit. Now it's time for Noah's Retrospective. Noah Fleischman is our producer here at Passage to Profit. We couldn't do this without him. And he never stops trying to make sense of the future by looking at the past. A leading sociologist in a recent interview made a claim that the source of most of our problems in society today generate from a lack of discipline. I believe it. Look, when we were small children, our parents told us exactly what we were going to wear, exactly what we were going to eat, and exactly when to go to bed. When I was a child, the television stations did that too, with TV programming. They told us exactly what our choices were, exactly when we could see them, and exactly what we weren't going to be able to see. This whole world of on-demand, anything, anytime we want, is blowing us into a world of constant indecision. It's getting out of control. I mean, if you're not somebody that can actually lie on the bed and flip through 1,495 channels in four minutes at night, chances are you're living with somebody that can, and even that's a little crazy. We've got to treat television like the treat that it is. Take it back to basics. Here's something you can try. For next week, make a list of all the shows you might like to watch. Create your own little TV guide. Then, when TV time rolls around, make a choice. Watch the one you really want to see and sacrifice the others. And then, like in the good old days, wait a year until you can see the ones you missed all over again. If it's discipline we need, do this for a year. We'll be the best-behaved society in the world. Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Mark Drager teaching us all about marketing and what we need to do in 2023. But now it's time for Elizabeth's question. And I'm going to start with Mark Drager. What food do you share with your pet? Well, I made the mistake. My, my two-year-old puppy, Rhett, he's a red retriever. And I don't like to share anything with them other than if I'm cutting up a roast or cutting up some meat. Like if I'm butchering something, I'll kind of like throw him a few scraps. And now he just, every time I get the cutting board and knife out, he just sits there. He just like sits there and stares at me. And it's like, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing is I'll give him, I'll give him some meat. Okay. So we will go to Mark Pretty next. Our 16 year old Havanese actually just passed away a few weeks ago, which was really hard in the family. But it just, as you were talking, Mike, about what you're offering and, you know, so many memories and stories kind of came through my mind is, you know, when we didn't have the time to run to a vet and et cetera, but um, she lived a great life and uh, brought us much joy. And one of them was sharing popcorn with her. And so she'd hear the popcorn popping in the microwave and uh, she would just be sitting there waiting to eat it. So uh, that was, that was one of the foods that we um, enjoyed sharing together. Nice. I am guilty. I'm sure like many of your listeners that I get out the whipped cream and I just put a little on a plate and all the pets come running as you know 
And so I'm guilty of that. Shame on me, but I have shared whipped cream with almost all my pets. That's a Starbucks thing too, I think. I know. A, a puppuccino? A puppuccino yeah. right there. See, humans and animals have a lot in common. So can you, I know you lost your beloved dog a little bit ago, but what food did you share with your pet? Yeah, it's, it's so funny you bring this up though, because I was telling my husband this the other day, I think it was around like Thanksgiving time, you know, we usually would have leftovers and like we would give him like his little, you know, Thanksgiving feast. And I was kind of sad that we didn't get to do that this year. So I would say around the holiday time, I miss giving him his like annual holiday fix. Create a little plate for him. Is yeah, like we would mix it with his like food. We give turkey. him a little gravy, a little turkey, maybe a little prime rib. That's, That's pretty sweet. elaborate. What about you, Richard? We've got three cats and they really don't eat a lot of human food. The only thing that I... I can, we have one cat, Max, who, that's young, and he likes lunch meat. If I fix myself a sandwich, he's like there right on me, sniffing around. Of course, they can smell it as soon as it comes out of the fridge, and he knows what's happening. And so I, 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 feed, I feed Max lunch meat. Oh, well, anyway. Oh, you didn't so, know that? No. You, so you're, you're always the ones that's like, give him a little piece of your sandwich. That is the end of the question. But I do need to go over everybody's website. We had with us Mark Drager, brand and positioning expert, founder of Phantom Media, podcast host and storyteller. And you can find him on markdrager.com. That's M-A-R-K-D-R-A-G-E-R.com or fanta.com, P-H-A. NTA.com. Yeah. And I definitely put Mark Drager in the thought leader category when it yes. comes to marketing. He had a lot of interesting and original thoughts today. So definitely right. check out his podcast. And then we had Mark Pretty with Happy Day Brands, happydaybrands.com spelled like it sounds. And he's making healthful food, but he's also trying to change the world. It's, all, it's like a movement helping he, with food insecurity. He said that food is a right. And yeah. I think he's right. I mean, I do think in this time, in this country, around the world, we have enough food to feed everyone. So no one should be hungry. Mark is working on it. All right. And then we had Mike Ortega with Petsy.com, P-E-T-Z-E-Y.com. That's an app that connects you to a vet any time of the night or day. So you can get an initial screening of your pet. It's like triage. You notice the energy that Mike brought to his presentation. He's <laughs> right in the middle of growing his company and he has that entrepreneurial energy and at some point if you follow your dreams and, and do a startup you'll be there too before we go i'd like to thank the passage to profit team noah fleischman our producer alicia morrissey our program director and mark wilson our syndication manager our podcast can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast just look for the passage to profit show and don't forget to like us on facebook instagram and twitter and remember while the information during this program is believed to be correct never take a legal step without checking with your legal professional this is richard and elizabeth gearhart thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.